Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Heartless. And I'm your other host, Natalie. This is the podcast where we recap the fiction story of Magic the Gathering and add our own flavor text, speculation, and reactions. We are currently in season three, where we are talking all about the story of All Will Be One. In today's episode, we will be covering the third story in the main story arc for the set, Inconceivable Losses by Shannon McGuire. Join us as we head into the multiverse. talk about the fact that this episode is called Inconceivable Losses. I'm not expecting anything good to happen when I see that title. Nope, me neither. I, I'm i very nervous. I, I'm, I'm so nervous for our planeswalkers. I, me too. I don't know what to expect. I, I'm just expecting bad. Ugh. All right, let's get to it. So last episode, we met up with many of our other planeswalkers. We met Jace and Elspeth uh, reunited with Koth. Kaya reunited with Tyvar from Kaldheim. And our planeswalkers essentially came up with a game plan last episode. They decided that they needed to bring the Silex to the seed core of Meriden, which is the very heart of Meriden. And they needed to use the Silex to break, uh, to destroy the Realm Breaker, which is Elish Norn's world tree or blasphemous world tree. And that's what they decided to do. They decided that the, the risk was worth it and that was their only tangible path forward. Another big note here is that Malira, the one of the Mirren Resistance, fi- finds out about Nahiri's glistening, like her growth, her Phyrexian growth, her protrusion. The, her protrusion on the back of her neck, <laughs> and um, and and tries to save her, but ultimately couldn't cure her. But they like they're holding out hope that eventually Malira might be able to cure Nahiri of viresis, but we don't know if that's actually going to happen. But Malira is definitely in the know now that Nahiri is infected, and we left off right when Elspeth was about to enter the passage that would lead them down into the lower levels of Mirrodin. And that's right where we left off. Now, as this episode opens, the planeswalkers are traveling through that passage. Natalie just mentioned that's going to take them deeper into the plane. And it does not seem like a fun time. They're on these carts that are careening through a tunnel that is taking them further into the layers of the plane, which means they are going down and they're going down fast. And it is dark. Elspeth calls it a breathtaking darkness. As they move through the tunnel to bypass two of the plane's layers, they are helped by some elves who are manning the carts, by the way. The elves tell them that they're being spared a lot by not having to see the surgical bay and the hunter maze layers. They say these aren't things anyone should have to see. I believe them. (laughs) The elf tells Elspeth that she may remember the hunter maze as something called the Tangle, and that Borenklex transported the worst of it beneath the surface during the Great Transformation, using it as the seed of his new empire. But that's all we learn about these two layers, and for which I'm kind of grateful. Yeah, honestly. Now, finally, the great descent into darkness is over. This sounds like the most terrible roller coaster ever. <laughs> you know, it actually reminded me of this old underground roller coaster um, where that back at this theme park near where I grew up, where you're in pitch dark for most of the ride, and out of nowhere, there's like this big drop and it is so much scarier because you cannot see how far the drop is and it feels like you're going to fall forever. Anyway, Elspeth opens her eyes and immediately wishes she hadn't. 
So this is making me wonder, what does the dross pits look like? I'll read this from the story. The sky, such as it was, was a sea of leprous clouds that roiled and shifted endlessly, somehow giving the appearance of rotting from the inside out, even while hanging in the air. Pools of glowing green liquid she recognized as necrogen dominated the landscape, casting an eerie green light. Even before Phyrexia, it had been deadly, capable of transmuting the unwary into the undead. Now, it could do that or induce viresis, and she wanted no part of either option. Elspeth looked at her hand and winced. The necrogen light made her look sallow, like she was rotting. The pallid complexions of her companions mirrored her own. As far as this place was concerned, they were already dead. Ooh, yikes. So this place is far from friendly. It really is. And the elves tell her that everything rots here. The fumes on this level are hazardous to breathe and that it isn't as bad as the surgical bay where you can find viresis starting just because you breathe to the spray from the fountains. The fumes kill you before they turn you. So it sounds like on the microsynth level, there's this fungus that when you breathe in, turns you phyrexian. But on the surgical bay level, the fountains are so dangerous, they kill you before turning you into a phyrexian. That's just wild. That's crazy. That, But that is I don't know why I'm still surprised on the horrors <laughs> of Nuphorexia, but I still manage to be surprised that there is there is so much danger here. I, I it's it's I cannot overstate it. There's a quote in this section I really like that kind of capitalizes on my point where Elspeth says, that's horrible. And one of the cart operators replies, that's Nuphorexia. It changes what it can, kills what it can't and converts the ruins into its own image. Now the group has exited the first passage and need to get to a smaller tunnel, which should take them straight to the fair basilica. It's probably a good time to bring up the fact that Urabrask is staging a rebellion. So Urabrask is the praetor of the Furnace Slayer. A praetor is like a Phyrexian ruler. And Urabrask is red-aligned, which in magic means he values freedom. And freedom is in direct contrast with the Phyrexian way. This has led to him butting heads with the other praetors. He isn't so much helping out the planeswalkers by staging this rebellion as he is being opportunistic. But our planeswalkers are going to be using this chaos as cover as they move from the first tunnel that bypassed the outermost levels of New Phyrexia and toward the second tunnel, which will take them to the fair basilica. Before they head further into the depths of New Phyrexia, Elspeth reaches into her pack and pulls out some halo. Halo was originally seen on Nucapenna and can heal Phyresis, and in this case, it should protect the Planeswalkers from the necrogens in the air that could give them Phyresis or even kill them. They take the Halo, and Jace has a very unexpected response. Jace collapses to the ground. His heartbeat is just going bananas, and immediately the rest of the party begins to worry he's been compromised, and the Halo is reacting to Phyresis inside of him. So Malira comes over to assess the situation and identifies that this isn't Phyresis at all. Something happened to him when he collapsed. Finally, Jace gasps, sits up, and starts to absolutely take off in the wrong direction from the next tunnel. But Tyvar holds him still and asks him what is going on. Now, remember how the mind link was messed up and Jace couldn't get a hold of Kaya when they first arrived on Nuphorexia? Well, Jace tells Tyvar that the halo cleared his head enough to hear Vraska through the mind link. Something horrible is happening to her, and she's in pain. Wow, so really shows you here how in love with Vraska Jace is, that he abandons all logic. 
which is his main trait is, is that he's logical to go running off into whatever situation she's in, abandoning his goal of saving the multiverse. I know we haven't talked about Jace too much on the podcast, but this is really out of character for him. Jace is an extremely intelligent character. He's a mind mage with abilities and mental magic that are absolutely unmatched in the multiverse. But upon learning that Vraska is in trouble, no one can stop him. The other planeswalkers have no choice but to scramble after him. I mean, he has the Silex and he knows how to use it. But so does Kaya, and she's the backup plan. All is not lost, but before they can come to any sort of agreement, Jace takes off and they follow him into the darkened landscape of the Dross Pits. Natalie, can you read what they come across as they chase Jace across the Dross Pits? At first, it seemed they had the blasted Necrogen blotched landscape to themselves. Then, warring figures began to appear. Shells of blackened metal barely containing raw red sinew and exposed bone. Limbs jutting from every surface of their bodies. Weapons like rough-hewn cleavers designed for splitting powerful exoskeletons. Some were small, scaled to match the planeswalkers, while others towered over them, massive colossi of metal and viscera. Most of them echoed the dross pits, shells black and blistered from their caustic environment, while others glowed red-hot, superheated metallic forms cutting through their opponents as they fought onward. Urobrask's rebellion was well underway. As Urobrask's rebellion goes on around them, the planeswalkers are surprisingly going unnoticed. There's even a point where two fighters tumble right in front of Elspeth and don't see her. And that's when she realizes Jace is hiding them with illusion magic so that when the fighters look at the planeswalkers, they see nothing at all. Which is a demonstration as to how powerful Jace is. Absolutely. He's using a lot of energy to get to Vraska as quickly as possible. He even says, she's so afraid and she's so alone, which is just so heartbreaking. Now, finally, they make it to Shieldred's Coliseum. Apparently, Shieldred makes Phyrexians fight here for her amusement, which is super fun. Jace shouts Vraska's name and runs into the Coliseum, but the others are far more cautious. Kaido even grabs Elspeth's arm and says they shouldn't follow him, that this is foolish and they should take the Silex and run. But Elspeth replies, what's the value of fighting at all if we can't even make the stand to save our own? So they enter Shieldred's Coliseum. And here's what the planeswalkers see. The interior was a vast, gutted-out bowl surrounded by high ranks of backless seating, so steep that there was little doubt that eager spectators could tumble from the heights if they weren't careful. A pitted black metal floor stretched through the center of the bowl, a pool of bubbling necrogen visible at its center and around the edges. It was a pit of horrors. And in the middle of this bowl, bleeding profusely from multiple wounds, is Vraska. This is a good point for us to talk about who Vraska is. So Vraska is a Gorgon, and Gorgons have the powers of a Medusa. They can turn people to stone with a glance, and they have the telltale snake-like appendages on their heads. Vraska is a striking Gorgon woman with glowing eyes, and she used to be an assassin. She's also been the queen of the Golgari Swarm, which is pretty impressive. So Harless already mentioned that Vraska and Jace are together, but it wasn't always that way. Vraska was once one of Jace's greatest adversaries, and long story short here, rewind to War of the Spark. They agreed if they survived the two of them, the War of the Spark, Jace would get with Vraska. It was kind of this agreement. And they did, but Vraska recently kind of broke up with Jace because she could tell that Jace still had feelings for Liliana. So it's kind of this very, like I said, very dramatic 
love story triangle, but Jace does not love Liliana. He is totally in love with Vraska, in case this isn't clear. And this is kind of breaking my heart right now because Vraska is clearly in trouble. So Jace heads straight for Vraska and the others follow him, preparing for battle. There are Mirans turned to stone around Vraska as well as Phyrexians, and it seems like there's been a pretty intense battle here. Nahiri makes Kaya hang back since she's the only other person other than Jace that can operate the Silex. And as Jace makes his way to his beloved, the other planeswalkers jump into battle with the Phyrexians surrounding Vraska. Kaito, Tyvar, Koth, Elspeth, and Nahiri take out the last of the Phyrexians as Jace reaches Vraska. Jace tells Vraska not to worry, that they have Halo and can cure her. But Vraska just replies, no, she's too far gone. Malira confirms oh. this. Oh, <laughs> my heart. I know, it's so bad. Okay, so she says she can, Malira says she can feel that Vraska is too far gone to be brought back from Phyresis. What are you saying to me right now? What? And Malira says the fact that Vraska has retained this much of herself this long is a showcase of her will. But she's too wounded, too far gone, and they just don't have time to sit here and wait for a long healing process. And then Vraska tells Jay something really sad. She says she didn't mean to call him here and that she didn't want to put him in danger, but he tells her she did the right thing. Nadhiri offers to give Vraska a quote-unquote clean exit. Ugh, I'm, I'm bleeding all over the floor. Like, I'm, I'm just, my heart is just... But Jace, okay, okay. But Jace tells her he'll kill her if she touches Vraska. He's still so convinced that they can save Vraska. But Vraska knows they can't, and she tells them all to run. But Jace... He tells her he won't leave her. So the rest of the planeswalkers leave Jace with Braska, take the Silex, and head for the exit. Jace is horrified. He doesn't understand why everyone is just giving up on Vraska, why no one is even trying to save her. But Elspeth tells him Phyrexia doesn't let people go. Vraska is dying, but Jace just tells her to close her eyes, and she obliges. The group of planeswalkers leave the Colosseum and step straight into the middle of a war. All the noise they made fighting Phyrexians in the Colosseum has drawn attention, and there is an army of Phyrexians waiting for them, ranging from multi-legged, human-sized creatures to hulking constructs of sinew and bone. And honestly, the Planeswalkers are pretty disheartened. They just spent a ton of energy getting to and trying to save Vraska, and it's showing. Nahiri's metal knives that she pulled from the earth to defend her are swirling a little more slowly. Tyvar's metal shell has patches of skin showing through but they're stuck. They can't go back to the Colosseum. That's a dead end. And they can't go forward without clearing out every Phyrexian that stands in their way. They might just die here, but they have no choice but to fight. Now back with Vraska and Jace, Jace asks Vraska to open her eyes. And when she does, she is no longer in the Colosseum, but on a sun-drenched Ravnican Avenue dressed in clothes fit for an afternoon stroll. Of course, this is one of his illusions, but he tells her, I may not be able to save you from Phyrexia, but I can spend one more day with you first, he said. Let me give you this. The illusion is all-consuming, and they wander the streets of Ravnica together. They go to guild halls and museums, and they're able to say I love you to one another before Vraska admits she's not sure how much longer she can last without harming him. Now, Jace is nothing if not a stubborn man, and he tells her that, no, he will not leave her. She tells him he should have run, that it's too late for both of them now. You see, in the dross pits, there are these necrogen puddles, and the oil that spreads infection hangs in the air above these pools. While he's been in here, he's breathed in too much already. They share one last kiss, and as they do, she stabs him in the palm, pulls away, smiles, and says, 
for the glory of Phyrexia. She'd grown a long scorpion-like tail and struck him with the barb at the end, giving him a dose of Phyrexian oil in the process. And she laughs as he runs from her. So I was totally crying. <laughs> Just I know. Oh, it's so brutal. It's uh, so brutal. So don't tell me she just she just phyrexianized Jace, didn't she? She, I mean, she just she 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 stabbed him. I I okay. All right, all right. Let's keep going. <laughs> I I don't. I'm speechless right now. Yeah. So you're right. It seems like she has phyrexianized Jace, which is just doubly worse, doubly bad. And as Jace runs, he bumps into Tyvar and the rest of the planeswalkers, and they all head into battle. The only way forward is forward, after all. Nahiri rips off her band-aid on her neck, seeming no longer to care who knows she's been infected with Phyresis. And wow, this next section is just so cool. Her magic rose like a burning tide as she reached deep enough to set the air dancing in a heat haze of visible convection. Nahiri's power seemed inexhaustible, relentless. One by one, the knives she had painstakingly called from the substance of the lair dropped, inert to the ground, as the sword in her hand blazed brighter. The Colosseum around her began to warp and crack, unable to resist her inexorable call. The bony growth on her spine was spreading, as if ripping this much power out of Phyrexia itself was hastening some terrible transformation. Her skin began to fissure, revealing deep veins of burning red where blood should have been. She met Jace's eyes across the broken battlefield, her own eyes now black from side to side like extinguished coals. Don't let this be for nothing, she said. Finish the job. She swung her sword, and in that moment, she was a figure out of legend. In that moment, she could have cleaved the plane. And then, with a vast and terrible shattering, she did precisely that. And everything fell into darkness. The floor falls out from beneath them, and they find themselves surrounded by dust and debris. Elspeth's halo has broken and spilled out all over the ground, and she almost loses herself to negative thoughts. But she is Elspeth, so she pulls herself together because that is what heroes do. And it turns out that Nahiri has used her magic to drop the entire Colosseum into the Fair Basilica. They pull themselves out of the rubble as Phyrexians begin to pour in from above. Phyrexians from Fair Basilica are distinguishable because they're shelled in silver and white, and they begin to climb up the walls to fight the Phyrexians coming in. And then they see Atraxa fighting amongst everyone else in the Fair Basilica. Atraxa is another praetor, like Urabrask, so she's likely defending her own level of new Phyrexia. She is primarily white with too many limbs to look natural and gigantic wings. But they don't have time to gawk at the praetor. They have to move before they get pulled into the fight. And as Jace points out, as he gestures to his arm, which is clearly beginning to succumb to Phyresis, they don't have much time. Jace asks Kaya to give him back the Silex, and after a lot of whispered convincing, she does. Jace let the bag rest against his hip, looking neither pleased nor displeased. The loss of Vraska and his own future in the same blow seemed to have broken something inside him, and the despair in his eyes was a blow to Elspeth's heart. She couldn't look at him for long. They had lost two of their number. Three, if she already included Jace on that list, and all the Halo. They were trapped in the heart of New Phyrexia with no clear way home. How much did they really have left to lose? Under the burning sky of the Fair Basilica and the corrupted light of Atraxa, they continued. Oh my gosh, I truly just, I, I, I can't deal with this episode. I, 
we said it at the beginning and I was prepared or so I thought. I thought I was prepared. I was not prepared. This is getting way too real. I can't believe this. I truly can't. This is Jace. Like, Jace. And Vraska and Nahiri. So I know in season one in Dominaria United, we had our pivotal losses in the story. Like, we lost a Johnny. That was intense. We lost Jaya the same season. But this, I am at a loss of words. My mind truly doesn't want to believe it of what I just read. I know that Jace has to somehow come through this okay, right? It's Jace. It's Jace Bellerin. I don't know, Natalie. Something about the name of this set, All Will Be One, tells me that we shouldn't assume that anymore. Can we just take a moment to cry tears for Vraska and Jace? I really liked them together. They were so stubborn about it, though. But when they, then they truly did end up falling for each other. And then this, this, I, I refuse to believe that this is how they end after everything. So one of the things I wanted to talk about about this episode is like, we haven't seen Jace or Vraska before on the podcast, but it was heart-wrenching. Yeah. Because you can imagine that being your person, right? It doesn't, it's so amazing how much he loves her. It's so amazing how he abandons his main characteristic to go running after her, but it's just so heartbreaking. I know. And, And the thing that I loved about their love story like we didn't really get into all of the all of the dynamics of how they met or you know what ended up being their relationship but Vraska and Jace were not destined to be together it's not like they were star-crossed lovers or anything but they they made it work they they didn't think they were going to love each other and then they ended up falling in love like it's it's just the sweetest story (laughs) It feels and, very real too. Yeah, it feels very yeah. relatable. Like, you know, life isn't always this um super romantic story that starts when you're young and goes on into your adulthood. Right. They had to work love, at this. This was this was not something that came naturally. It just And true love takes work. True love takes energy and effort and compromise and putting aside your annoyance at the other person sometimes. And that is Jason Frasca. And yeah. This is how I am heartbroken that this was how they ended. And I just, uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't have words. That's, that's how I feel. I, yeah, no, I feel the same way. Well, I guess we'll have to wait to find out how Jason or other planeswalkers move forward from here. We hope you liked Inconceivable Losses by Shannon McGuire just as much as we did. As always, if you want to read the story for yourself, you can check it out at mtgstory.com. We'll see you next time. Have a magical day.